0: Let's go to the word Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Amen. Now, First Peter one nine. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, that is, salvation of your soul. Amen. Uh, The goal or the end result of faith, which is the salvation of your souls, my soul. God is living. God is living. God is living. God is living. Matthew 16, 16, the living God. And elsewhere throughout the Bible says God lives. He is living. He lives forever and ever. Revelation 1, 6. And his living refers to his existence. So he's not someone who was And or not is anymore, um, but he who was and is and is to come, which highlights his eternal existence, his existence that is constant, having no beginning or end. Not only is his existence living, so is his word. The word that comes out of his mouth is always living. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And 1 Peter one twenty three says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. How many of you believe that? That God is living in his existence, and so is his word. That's faith. Faith is starting with that. That's where we begin. Believing that God exists and that his word uh, also lives. Um, and therefore, we need to live each and every day confessing this and putting this, into, bring, bring this to practice. That's the Christian life or the faith life, which is to live according to this living word of God. Amen? Yes, as simple as that. Living according to the word, the living word of the living God. For what? What is the purpose of life? Eternal life. And the goal to get there is simply the first resurrection. What kind of resurrection? Yes. Because where are we now? The current location? The place that will become hell. Yes, that's right. And we've been hearing about uh, faith by righteousness. We'll hear about that more today. But redemption in the past three weeks. How we gain the right to escape. the uh, the qualification to leave this current location. So everything connects um, because simply the purpose being eternal life, another word for that is the salvation of my soul. What is it? So for the salvation of my soul, I have to live each and every day according to the living word of God. Always have to think the alternative. Well, what if I don't want? What if I don't live for that? Who cares about that? Well, you shouldn't end it with who cares. You do have to consider the alternative. If not what? Hebrews 10:30:31 30, says, "For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge; I will repay." And again, the the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Very scary, right? The thought of falling into the hand of a God who's not dead, but the God who is living. And because he's living, his word lives as well because his word is living because his being is living that what he says will be done. He will make sure that his word becomes fulfilled because he lives. It's all connected. If he's a God who is no longer around, if someone who lived but died, who cares about what he said, but because he lives and lives forever, what he said matters forever. Simply put. So his word is always living therefore it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God that's why we always have to keep in mind if not if I'm not living for the salvation of my soul and living according to his word then what's going to happen to me after I die that's what we need to always think about we're not doing religion we're living faith and we are living by faith this life called faith life for um, the result of faith, which is the salvation of my soul. Now, when we think about faith, and you heard about faith all year last year, um, everyone lives by faith, even if they don't go to church, even if they say, I don't have religion, I don't believe in God. So they can call themselves, their are atheists, or agnostics, whatever you call, whatever they call themselves, but they also have faith. Um, they may not come out and say that, but they trust in system. They trust in principles. They trust in themselves. They trust in, you know, insurance. They trust in laws. So uh, whether that's natural or scientific, or natural laws that scientists talk about, or um, law, you know, laws that uh, guide and, and govern uh, the land, so people can then get into uh, subways and, and trains and, and even fly an airplane without worrying about. Although, you know, nowadays you hear about news like airplane door opening up in midair, you know, and um, something happened in trains and buses. But, you know, people think, okay, it happened to them and not to me. So they get on plane with no worries and they get on cable cars, no worries, and get in the elevator with no worries uh, because their um, previous uh, experience uh, allows them to... Uh, take those actions. So based on, quote-unquote, data, right? Their personal data or statistics that, you know, give them a peace of mind. So they uh, take these actions. Um, they may not call it faith, but they have sort of confidence and trust uh, in these things that, that are supposedly done the right way. So from there to, um, you know, going to the doctors and going through, like, surgery, a serious surgery where you have to remove part of your organ, you know, and you go under um, full anesthesia, and you hope that they take out the right kidney and not the left, right? And that, um, that they cut out uh, certain whatever part of the bar that, that is really the one that needs. But errors do happen and, um, and mistakes uh, happen. And that's why you have a lot of lawyers suing um, the doctors. Anyhow, uh, so yeah, you have these situations where um, uh, so a small chance becomes the chance for that person, like the likelihood happens for that person. So there are... Um, uh, there, there are possibilities for failure, certainly success as well as um, failure. Um, so people make investments and um, buy stocks or... Um I guess, uh, what do you call it, uh, cryptocurrency too. And, and they believe that you know all these people have done it well and they've made a lot of money and I'm going to do the same and do that. But um, not everyone's guaranteed to get return and not everyone is guaranteed to not lose uh, because people have certainly lost a lot. So um, anything from schooling to investment to medical situations to the vehicles that we um, get into, even to relationship like marriage. Right? So people get married um, thinking that that's the love of their life and they're going to spend the rest of their life together with this other person. I mean, if you think about that, that's the riskiest business ever. Like, what do you know about that person anyway? You never met them before. Like, you didn't grow, unless you grew up like together in the next door and even that you don't know always, but somebody from some other country, other part of the world, and then you're in love and you try to, get into relationship and it's like, wait a minute, how do I, even with a lot of information out there, um, people find out stuff much later on. And, you know, even though when they go walk down the aisle together, they look the happiest people and they never even consider the D word. Um, the reality is one out of two couples, um, split. Some say now statistic in some countries is not one out of two, but one out of 1.5. I don't know how that works, but 1.5, um, um, (laughs) One point for one and a half couple, one out of them will split. Um, So very high rates of um, divorce, which means uh, failure in that situation, right? So everything in this world has success and failure and this is driven by people's decision made on this sort of general idea of having trust in something, trust in themselves. We call this self-confidence. So we learned this in Logos. We talked about it in sermons before. So self-confidence is not the kind of faith of the Bible, but it's the faith of the natural people, uh, meaning the people of the world. And this is very subjective. So it's based on one's own experience, people's experience, uh, and their knowledge, and they make decisions on that. Like nothing happens to me yesterday everything's gonna be okay today i'm not afraid you know even though i got in a car accident it's not gonna kill me today so you know they may be a little bit scared for a few days but they go back to doing that because sort of data tells them but because it is very subjective it's based on human knowledge and experience there is no guarantee from god it's all based on statistics probabilities probabilities for success and probabilities for failure by contrast the faith that god seeks the faith Um, revealed in the Bible is the faith of God, faith from God. And it is not subjective, um, but it is objective. So if you will, like subjective human experience would be like on the ground level, but objective would be my, you know, aerial view, right? So you have the whole view and based on that, you know, but that you is not human, but God. So God is objective and it is based on the word of God that one takes action. And therefore... There is absolute guarantee from God, for God promises and guarantees by his word. So whoever does according to his word, there is his backing, there is his guarantee, there is his promise. So that's why faith is what God seeks. Amen? Yes. So to to go before God, we have to have faith. How many of us want to go to the Father's house in heaven and have eternal life? What's going to get us there? Faith. Faith. Yes, we talked about the redeeming blood past few weeks. But now we're going to look at faith. It is by faith, we'll go there. So what is faith? Um, the fundamental faith that Bible demands is what we read in Hebrews 11 there. Uh, are starting with two things, believing in these two things. First, uh, in God, of course, who is invisible. But not just believing in God, but all other invisible beings that he made. Uh, namely, uh, f- uh, starting with angels, God made angels are invisible. Um, and they were made in the spiritual heaven that's outside the universe to serve God, to glorify God. Uh, God made them before he made the universe and the visible things, including humans. So they, uh, have a beginning. Uh, they don't die because they don't have the body, but they have a beginning. So they're creatures and they're finite in that sense. Um, humans, on the other hand, are totally finite because we were made on earth, in the universe, which is also called uh, Ho Hades. Um, and this is the bound space, the finite space. Again, scientists also talk about that, finite universe. But spiritually speaking, this is the place uh, where the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 7, the present heavens and earth are reserved for the fire So it's a place that is finite, and in order for man to escape this place that will become uh, the lake of fire in the end, what's going to get us out is faith. Right. So by faith, we will need faith to get out. Now, who is God again? He is invisible. He is everlasting. He is living forever. He has no need for time or space. um, so this is where the Christian faith begins, believing in the invisible beings and in the invisible world, uh, meaning heaven and hell. In spite of this, uh, the majority of the Christians today, the majority of churches today, do not talk about heaven and hell. They may talk about heaven, but they don't want to talk about hell, or they outright uh, just deny hell um some years ago there was a very famous new york times bestseller book written by once an evangelical so-called evangelical pastor he was young pastor very successful in the midwest and born his second generation was also pk um and so he was leading this um ministry and he said the more i study the bible and the more i try to work with people for god is love how can god let these people go to hell that just cannot i cannot accept that God is love and he's loving. He must love everyone. And what kind of loving God will send anybody to hell? So he turned the gospel upside down and said, there is no hell. So he wrote a New York Times bestseller called Love Wins. Oh, that's right. His name is Rob Bell. So he wrote that book. And I remember Time Magazine also like interviewed him and did a review on that book. And okay, if it's a worldly person, you know, who doesn't believe in God or is not a Christian who cares but this is a person who says he's a christian still is a christian and says the god that he believes who sent jesus to die on the cross and i want to ask like then why did he die for what To, to save men from what and we have been hearing here the reason why jesus came the sinless god who came as man was to die on the cross to become the redeemer to redeem us from sin from to pay the price of sin to save us from hell without that you have no gospel Yet there are Christians who call themselves Christians in churches out there. They're not far away. There are about 60, 70, the majority of the so-called Christians. And that's what the theological schools teach. You go to seminaries and say, I want to become a pastor. And you go to these schools, you go in as a you know Bible-believing Christian, you come out as Bible-doubter. True. Yes. And they say, well, everything is possible and there's truth in every religion. That's what they say. So you have to be very, very careful. Where is my faith rooted? Faith is rooted in believing in the invisible beings, God, angels, and souls of men, and the invisible worlds of heaven and hell. Amen. <laughs> and secondly, we believe that these worlds were created by the word of God, not by uh, a process called evolution or and the like. Not partial evolution, not progressive evolution, or I forget some other versions of evolution you know people who say i am a, a bible believing christian but i'm also a scientist and you know because i need to kind of con- consolidate the two and make a happy marriage between science and and faith uh we're going to come up with like an in-between hybrid version that god created the world by the means of evolution now if god is almighty does he need evolution and then it, 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 i command i command all these things to come about evolution and i'll wait you guys go ahead And evolve from amoeba to whatever to walking humans. Would God do that? Does that make God the almighty creator? Why would the almighty creator need that? Evolution model itself doesn't start with God. It has no God, no purpose, no design. It's just a random process. And they don't have an answer for it. There's no why. It's just how that they hypothesize because it's a theory of beginning no one was in the beginning so evolution is throwing out the creator throwing out the word of god that's why as christians if you take that model then you diminish the authority of the word of god you diminish the authority of god so that's why people who say they're christians but they believe in evolution they will reduce and water down the word of god do you understand right so that's why those models don't work but the fundamental faith that the Christians have ought to have is believing in the creator God who created by his word. Hebrews 11, three, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible at his command. All things came to be. Do you believe that? And he created in six days of creation, according to uh, the book of Genesis that you all read, um, ch- chapter one and day six, God created man from the dust of the ground. And, uh, Male and female, he made them, and they multi—they came together, procreated and created and multiplied and they subdued the earth and developed civilization and culture. And then uh, while they're doing that, God chose one man to breathe into him the breath of life to make him a spiritual being, a living being. So man became a living being. So that's our ancestor named Adam, and from him we came We all came. So we are not just flesh, but we are also spirit. So we're dual beings. They're two beings to one man. Do you understand? Am I going too fast? No. So we have flesh being that lives or dies, and the spirit that lives and dies. Um, And to this ancestor of ours, Adam, who lived in the Garden of Eden, God said, Do not eat from this one tree. You could eat from any trees for your flesh, but for your spirit, you must not eat from this one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat of it, you're breaking my word, you're rejecting the word food for your spirit, you will therefore die. And he did die. Because instead of listening to the word of God, he listened to the word of the serpent. That sounded too good to be true. And it says, you know why God doesn't want you to eat that? Because if you eat of it, you will open your eyes and know the things of God. And you will live like, like God. So why limit yourself? Go ahead. You're not going to die. You will not surely die. And he was tempted by those words, um, given delivered through um, Eve. And he took the fruit. And of course, instead, he did not become like God. Instead, he became afraid. Spiritually, sin entered a spirit and spirit died. From Adam, all mankind to this day, all men receive the spirit of um, Adam And death entered uh, all mankind. And then, what does that mean? Even though the flesh continues to live, the spirit will then follow the devil, whom Adam listened to, um, and follow him to the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41 says. But because God had uh, intended or planned to reveal himself as the living God from the beginning... He's going to save mankind from this death, spiritual death, from the fire of hell. And he began his work of salvation through men of faith. And we read about that in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 specifically. And verse 7, it says, it starts with Noah. I mean, there's Abel too, but about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen and holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So, even though he did not see um, this deluge that was coming to drown the entire world, he took God's wor- warning seriously. So He didn't go, God, are you for real? For real? I don't see even a cloud up there. It's so clear. You're, you're going to drown the whole world. How does that happen? He did not ask. He did not uh, doubt. He did not challenge. But he said, Amen. And because he did not want to be destroyed, he told his family and all family together agreed. And for about 70 years of their lifetime, they built an ark. And as a result, um, so that is described as in holy fear, built an ark. So it says, by faith, Noah, in holy fear, built an ark. So he believed in the word of God and that belief was not, sure, I believe. Got you. That was not faith. What was his faith? He went to work. What did he do? He built an ark. Yeah, he went to work. So hearing the word and then he carried on to action so living according to that's the theme today isn't it yeah so faith is that in holy fear he built an ark and the result was he and his family were saved Moses in 1128 uh, Hebrews, by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So he commanded the people of Israel to whom he was sent by Jehovah to bring them out of their slavery, um, commanded the Passover um, and um, had the blood of the lamb put around the door frame so that the firstborns of each household will be sp- you know, spared or survived um, during the night of um, death uh, that struck every home. So Moses, by faith, kept the Passover uh, and the application of blood and delivered the people of Israel out of their slavery, out of Egypt, and he did all this by um, carrying it out into action, um, doing it according to God's command, and that was called by faith. So the people of Israel left Egypt after being there for about 400 years, um, about Six, seven hundred thousand um, males were um, counted, but um, you have, you add everybody together, it's about two million. So two million people left um, Egypt overnight, and in the desert, they follow Moses, follow the pillars of fire and clouds, and it was a harsh environment. They had to f- fix, our, fix their eyes on their destination, which was what? What's the, what was the destination for the people of Israel? Where? The Promised Land, the land of Canaan, where what flowed, milk and honey flowed. Sounds good, yeah. If you're in the desert, it sounds really good, yeah. Because in the desert, menu for today is menu for yesterday, menu for tomorrow. Every single day it was manna, 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 manna. Man, man, I'm sick and tired of manna. Yes, that's what they complained about. I feel for them. Oh my goodness! If you eat the same stuff, I will come. I be comp- I'd be the first to be complaining. I'd be the first <laughs> dead. And that's what happened to them. So two million people left. And in the 40 years of their uh, desert life, the wilderness life, everyone fell on their faces in the desert, died except for two. Certainly more than two people entered the promised land. But this was a new generation, the desert generation, the wilderness generation. But the rest of people, who the original generation who left Egypt, all died. Because describing them, let's read the Hebrews together. Hebrews three sixteen to 18. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobey? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their... Why did they not enter the promised land? And the verse before it says, they disobeyed so what happened in the wilderness it was a testing ground for them to keep their faith to see whether they will keep on obeying and following and keep their faith or not and how many failed all but two so two out of million two out of two million only two out of two millions passed the test wow what a percentage right that is very very low very scary and the reason again they did not keep the faith they did not continue to obey the word to remind this for generations to come god had them build a sanctuary where the name of the lord god was that was jehovah and jehovah as isaiah 43 11 says i even i am the lord which is jehovah apart from me there is no savior savior so to the people of israel their God, the God of Israel was the savior. And his name was in the old Testament for the people of Israel. What was the name of the God of Israel? The God of the savior, the savior of Israel. That's right. So when they looked at the sanctuary, uh, later on the temple in uh, Jerusalem, they remembered Jehovah as the savior of Israel. And what did they, what did Jehovah save them from? First, from the hands of um, their slave driver, the pharaoh in Egypt. Also, the harsh environment, the wilderness, the swords of their enemies, from famine, from plagues, from tribulation, from their enemies. So all those things were the environments in which they had to be saved from, so they were to remember. However, after ent- entering the promised land, their life lives got more comfortable, and when you get comfortable, you become arrogant and overconfident, and you lose faith. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. They forgot their savior. So Isaiah 17, 10 says, you have forgotten God, your savior. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and plant imported vines and so on, that I will destroy you. I will destroy you. That was the warning against the people of Israel because they forgot that God lives. They forgot that he, his word is uh, living, that his promise is true, that he will um, do as he said uh, through his commandments, his covenant, they lost their faith in him, and as a result, they were punished and they lost their sovereignty. But because the temple was there, reminding them, yes, Jehovah has not left us. He is the savior of Israel and he will certainly save us and restore us. So when a man named Yeshua, claiming himself to be the son of God, standing before the temple of Jerusalem, what did he say? He said, destroy the temple and they didn't need to hear anymore. They said, destroy the temple. What? The temple has which name? Jehovah. And he's a savior for which people? Without Jehovah, the people of Israel cannot survive. The nation of Israel at the time did not have sovereignty. They would have no hope of its restoration. So it would be hopeless. How dare you? They were so angry at number one, because of this, their faith and religion, and also for their political and social reason. But what Yeshua was saying is he's Jesus in English, but Matthew 121, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name. Jesus, because he will save his people from their, she will give him the name of, the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. So that name Jesus, yes, in English, but, um, actually is Yeshua, right, so if you have a footnote, it will actually say Yehoshua. It sounds like Yehoshua. And Yehoshua is Joshua, the Hebrew form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So they have the same root, Yeshua, Yehoshua, which is that he saves. So simply, the Savior. So Yeshua comes in the name of the Savior because the name, in Hebrew you know, tradition, the name tells the fate of the person, what, what's going to happen to, what they're going to do, what their life is going to be. But Unlike Jehovah, who saved Israel from their physical environments, Yeshua is going to save, not physical bodies, but souls of men from the price of sin, from hell. That's what he meant when he said, destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. So through his death and his resurrection, he will accomplish the work of saving souls from their sin and making a way for them to be saved from the fire of hell. Do you understand? Amen. And go to Matthew sixteen fourteen. So he asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And then 14, it says, they reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asks, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in Heaven, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Say it with me. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Messiah and Christ are the same. It was anointed man to become a king, right? So you are the Christ. But not only that, the son of the living God. So these two things answer the question, who is Yeshua? Who is Yeshua? He is Christ, but he is son of the living God. So the son of the living God. Okay, first of all, Christ is someone who has come upon the prophecies to become king. So he is going to do work in his flesh because he came as man. So you are man. Shocking? Nah. They see him. He's a man. But he didn't end there. He said, you are man, but you are God. Because the son of the living God. Who's the son of man? Okay, let's go back. Who's the son of dog? If someone said, besides dog, check on your neighbor. Did you say something else? Yeah. Son of a dog is dog. Son of a pig is? There you go. And son of God is? Okay, so we're talking about the nature. The nature, right? So when he says the son of the living God, what was Peter saying? To be honest, Peter didn't know what he was saying. I'll, t- I'll tell you in a minute. But he, he didn't know what he was saying. But he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I wonder if he did that with those mad eyes. You're the son of God. You're, you're the Christ and the son of the living God. And Yeshua said, blessed are you, son of God. Oh, God. It's not by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. You know this. <gasps> Hallelujah. <laughs> and other brothers are going... <laughs> So he thought he was on a roll, right? But at the end of that chapter, verse 22, 23, when Yeshua was saying, the son of man, uh, again, he's son of God because he is God in his nature. But he came as man. So the answer to who Yeshua is, that he is God who came as man. Altogether, he is God who came as man. Quick review. Tell, have one neighbor say, who is Yeshua. So he is the God who came as man. He is 100% God who became flesh. And that's what John says in John 1:14. The word, John 1:1 says, the word who was with God in the beginning, that word became flesh. God became flesh. God came as man. That's the answer for the question, who is Yeshua? Do you understand? Again, the world, even the majority of so-called Christians believe that Yeshua was man. No doubt about that. They believe that he died. Now, when it comes to his resurrection, not everyone believes. That's where the trouble comes, right? Because they're stuck in his humanity and have not seen the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not believe in the deity. So 100% deity, 100% humanity, only Yeshua can be that. Amen? Not half-half, 100%. So how was Peter able to figure this out when other brothers and friends couldn't? And they're going. like... How did you do that, Peter? How did you get that? And Yeshua is saying, It's not by your flesh and blood and your smarts and your experience or your data. It is by my Father in heaven. In other words, momentarily, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to give a right answer. We know that because at the end of the chapter, when Yeshua is saying, Now, I'm going to be betrayed by people and I'm going to die. So the Son of Man will be betrayed. And Peter, in verse 22, same chapter, Peter took Yeshua aside and began to say, Never, Lord. He actually is it actually say rebuke Yeshua. Peter rebuke Yeshua. Don't say that. Don't say that you're going to die. Never Lord. Because he was on a roll. Like, was like he got it right. And he's like, I'm going to get this one right too. So he never Lord. I am loyal. I'm by your side. I got your back Yeshua. You're not going to die. He was waiting. And what did Yeshua say? Get behind me, Satan. Get out of here. And Peter went. Yes, that's what happened. And what Yeshua said was, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Because he did not fully get it. That's why, in the end, everyone betrayed Yeshua. And even the disciples, even Peter ran away. As he was being mocked by these people who did not believe him, Yeshua died on the cross. But this was according to God's plan to manifest that he is the true savior, the living God who will save souls of men. And through the death of the son, this will be accomplished. So as he died on the cross, Yeshua said, it is finished. And he said so because it's that moment for that moment, he became man. He came as man. And in John 10, 17, um, He had already said that the command that he received from the father for which he came, that is the will of the father for him to lay down his life, that his death was coming, not because he becomes weak, that God abandons him, but rather this is the command that he came to obey, that he will do it willingly on top of that. So when he died on the cross, it was the moment that he surrendered his life willingly so that death can come to him. So he who knows no sin will become sin and sin will kill his body. But for him to prepare to keep on believing in the father who promised you lay down your life and I will raise you back to life. As he said, I have the authority to lay down my life and the authority to take it up again. So that schedule was waiting, but he had to do it willingly. And for him to do that, he needed faith. And for that faith, what did he do? Before he died, on Gethsemane especially, he prayed every single day. But on uh, the night before he was arrested in Hebrews 5, 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. To whom? To the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Hallelujah. He was reverent, meaning he feared God, the Father. Fear the word of the Father, honor the word of the Father, for the word of the Father. Before the word of the Father, he became nothing, and he laid down his life, waiting for the Father to raise him back to life. Trusting, 100%, not based on probabilities, but 100% based on the word of the Father, the promise of the Father. He laid down his life. That Death on the the cross, crucifixion is total death. Nobody ever comes back from the dead after being crucified. Total death. It's impossible for anyone to come back to life. But that death that he experienced is spiritual death because his body is spirit. But three days after his death, he was raised back to life. Hallelujah. To testify that the father's word is true. His promise is true. Do you believe that? Certainly during his death, he also condemned the origin of death. Origin of sin, that is the devil. He he himself became the origin of um, sin when he rebelled against God in heaven. But as, uh, through the serpent, he tempted Adam to sin, causing man to commit the original sin. And because of death entering the spirit, he became the ruler of death. But Yeshua, through his death, he judged him, condemned him. And by shedding his precious blood, what did he do as we've been talking about past three weeks? The R word, he... Redeemed us, that's right. Ransomed us and he repurchased us in his blood, by his blood, with the blood, by his grace. Hallelujah. So he purchased all the souls of men, making a way for men to be saved by their faith to escape this burning universe in the end. Amen? He did not scoop us out of the universe and brought us into heaven. That's not what he did. You have to keep in mind the distinction between redemption, what he did, and what my faith is going to do in the end. The difference. You understand? He paid the price of sin so that we become qualified, eligible to leave this burning universe. We cannot do that on our own. He did it for us by paying the highest price, which is through his death, through his life, his precious blood. Amen? Amen? But making that way so that whosoever believes him will receive the blood and by that blood be qualified to be saved. And by their faith, they will work out their salvation to be saved in the end. So he accomplished that. And after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven. He sat down on the throne and he is known as the Lamb of God. What is he known as? Why lamb? Lamb? What? That's not glorious. That's not glorious. That's not magnificent. Lamb, an animal. But what is a lamb? Lamb is a sacrifice. Lamb who has marks of being slain. So lamb is a baby animal that died young. And he is called the lamb of God because on the throne, as he's glorified as the king of kings, he still has bears the marks of his suffering and his death. The fact that he is the living God, but he came as man to die. The marks of death are still on his body to show what he had to do to get there. Do you understand? The lamb who was slain, but now lives forever. Revelation 1.18 says, I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Hallelujah. And Revelation 7.10 says, they cried out in a loud Voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Amen. It's the throne of God and of the lamb. And we only see the lamb because father and son now become one on the throne. And from the, from the throne, as the Lamb, from the marks of His body, His blood is still flowing out. What does that mean? Like the water of the living, uh, the river of the water, uh, living water, as Revelation 22 talks about in heaven, that water is flowing out. That represents the Holy Spirit coming out and the gospel spreading to this day. Whosoever hears and receives can receive the blood of Yeshua, the redeeming blood of Yeshua. Hallelujah! Say amen if you have received the blood of Yeshua. How did you do that? How did you get it? Go to the hospital? I don't know. You keep saying, so I just say, amen. it just sounded right. By welcoming, opening my heart, and then calling on his name. In his name, I received the blood of Yeshua. Yes? So the Holy Spirit enters such souls, the souls of believers, to believe. So what the Holy Spirit does is to testify what we are believing is true. So we have to believe as an opening our heart to receive the blood. And that blood now takes effect in my soul. Because the spirit blood enters the spirit, not the flesh. First, we have to believe Yeshua lives. Yeshua who came as man died, but he lives today and forevermore. How many of you believe that? He died on the cross 2,000 years ago, but the father raised him back to life and he lives forever because he's on the throne and it's from the throne. The Holy Spirit came. How many of you believe that? Let's go to Romans eight. Let's read verse nine. You, however, are controlled, not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Do you believe you belong to Christ? Remember last week, how do we belong to Christ? His blood. There you go. His blood. So here it says not blood, but it says the spirit of Christ. So if you have received the spirit of Christ, i.e. the blood of Christ, say amen. Then you belong to Christ. Amen. And then the spirit of God comes to live in you. So who's the spirit of God? There you go. The Holy Spirit. Local students should know this. Yes. So we receive the spirit of Christ. That is the blood of Christ. And then that sanctifies my soul and I receive the spirit of God. Let's go to 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So that's the spirit of God, right? The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I have the spirit of Christ and I receive the spirit of God. He testifies in me that I have the blood of Yeshua because Yeshua lives. Christ lives. Amen. So by the Holy Spirit, he seals my faith that the Yeshua Christ lives today. Do you believe? That you keep this faith until the end. For that the Holy Spirit came. Even if someone were to put a knife or a gun to my head and say, Do you believe that Yeshua is, is alive? Or is he dead? If you say he's alive, I'm going to kill you. <gasps> he's dead. Uh-oh. No. Even if it will cost my life, I must not deny. And for that the Holy Spirit came to give me power. Give me that faith. Amen. And the Holy Spirit testified in me that I have the blood of Yeshua. And that makes me a child of God. Only these uh, five people are saying amen. What's going on over there? Yes? Are you a child of God? Verse 15, 16. Ready? 815. The spirit who who you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are. What does the Holy Spirit testify? That we are? Are you a child of God? Are you sure? How did you become child of God? By receiving the blood. The blood of Yeshua. So you call him? Abba, Father. All this is by grace. Grace. So if you have this testimony of the Holy Spirit in you, reminding you every single day, Yeshua lives, you have the blood of Yeshua, he's your father in heaven, then and naturally, not by force, naturally, your life ought to change. Like you can't help it, but to change. You can't no longer smoke and get drunk and get high and live a lifestyle life of the world, living for the pleasure of the flesh. You just cannot, because now the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God is living in you. How can you go back to the old life? It's like a dog returning to his vomit. You are no longer the same man. That's why we are baptized. Baptism is the moment that conversion occurs. The dead man buried and a new creature comes out of the water. In the name of Yeshua. Hallelujah. So by believing this, by this faith, I am justified. Romans 3, 28 says, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In the Old Testament, you have to keep every single part of the law in order for you to be declared righteous. But in reality, how many hundreds of, how many hundreds? 600, 613 points of the law, not for 600 years, but every single day you had to keep. So you could keep 612, but get stuck on the 613. You break one, you broke all guilty so it's not proportional it's not relative it's absolute. you either keep all or you don't so therefore by the law no one is declared righteous this is what paul's writing in the book of romans clearly indicating the difference between the righteousness that is earned through earned through uh, declared through the law which nobody can be because it's impossible to keep the law and become righteous that way instead the law was given for men to be found as guilty condemned as sinners waiting for the savior to come And the new, the Savior has come, which is the righteousness of God, Yeshua, by my faith that he lives, that I have his blood, that blood is the righteous blood, the blood of the righteous one, because it's the blood of Yeshua, by receiving that blood, I have now become righteous. Romans 5, 9 says, become justified by his blood, amen? That's to say, to be renewed by the blood, and that is by faith. Not by keeping the 613 points of the law, but by believing that Yeshua is righteous. By believing that he died, but he was raised back to life. That he is the redeemer of all mankind. He is my redeemer. And I have received his redeeming blood. It's in my soul. Hallelujah. So by that faith, I am justified. So simply, that righteousness comes by faith. Romans 4.13 said It is not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes By faith. Simply. The righteousness. By faith. Say with me. The righteousness. By faith. I have become righteous. By faith. I have become justified. I'm justified. By faith. Not by my works, not by own righteousness, but only by faith, simply opening my heart and receiving. And what are we, when we're baptized, it's like sealing that, sealing and making it real. That's what baptism means. So I am receiving that. I am believing that it's by that faith. I have been justified. Hallelujah. That's why it is grace. And Paul writes in Philippians 3, 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So it is faith that justifies and it is faith that will ultimately lead me to the salvation of my soul. Understood. Amen? So again, as I said, the difference between redemption and salvation is this. Redemption was done 100%. There's nothing to be added and done to. It's already done. Who did it? Yeshua. God did it in Christ, Yeshua. When? 2,000 years ago. It's done. Done deal. He did it once unilaterally because God is the God of grace. So when we think about the gospel, we're talking about redemption. The good news, the grace of God, the good news is the grace of God, and the grace of God has come through the redemption of Jesus Christ, Yeshua Christ. So the gospel is what he has done, who Yeshua is and what he has done. He is God, who came as man, though he knows no sin, died as sin, died with sin, to pay the price of my sin, yours, sin, all of us. He did it 2,000 years ago, so that today, whosoever believes, whosoever receives, will not perish, but have eternal life. Sounds really easy, right? So why are you getting all excited, Pastor? And Romans ten ten says the similar thing. So for it is, okay, let's read that. Romans ten ten. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you pro- confess your faith and are? So it is with your heart you believe and justify. You're justified. We're justified. Yes? Amen? It is with your mouth you confess. It, 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 with your mouth you confess or with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So there, salvation is, oh, all you have to do is believe in your heart. And all you have to do is confess. Done that? Check. Been there? Check. I'm going to go to heaven. So Romans 10.10 says, and John 3.16, Whosoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. So those are two places. But we read um, in the beginning at uh, in 1 Peter 1.9, For you are receiving the end result, the end or the result of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. So on the one hand, Romans 10.10, 10, it says, believe in your heart and you are, uh, you're justified with your mouth. You confess and you are saved. And because of that, so many so-called Christians will go to hell. Because of that. So they say one time confession. Oh, I've been baptized. Catholics. I was infant baptized, christened. So they don't even go to church. They don't even know who Yeshua is. They're living like the world. They don't even, but then they say they're Catholic. I don't know what they say, but they, I'm Catholic or I'm Christian. I was baptized or infant Christian when I was blah, blah, blah. They don't know anything and they think they're still going to heaven. Who, who told them that? So it's this idea that just confession and then I'm done. Don't tell me what to do. I'm just enjoying my life. I'm still young. I need to live this life, you know, like whatever. I don't want to lose my time and opportunity. Okay, that's one part, but that's not the complete picture as we just read. For you're receiving the end of your faith, your end result of your faith. So the end result there, um, result or end, uh, is telos, telos uh, in Greek. And telos comes, uh, the root word tel. So tel, yeah, telephone, you know, um, teleport, whatever. So tel is um, to aim, to aim at something so again i think i said this uh, way back uh, about like the old pirates um what do you call it um telescope so it comes out right so it collapses and then you can pull out so that is the word for end so you're already seeing gradual in, in increments what's coming in the end so what's the end of faith what is the end the goal of my faith the salvation of my soul once again what is the end of your faith don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. The reason why we need to believe, the reason why we need to keep this faith to the end, as Matthew twenty four uh, sixteen, Yeshua said, the one who stands firm to the end, to the end. Not just today for ten years or twenty years and stop, but to the end will be saved. Hebrews ten thirty nine says, For we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith are saved. So to those who have faith and are saved, so we do not shrink back because the world is threatening us or tempting us and losing the faith. But we keep the faith until the end because the salvation of my soul is still being worked out. So that's what Paul wrote in Philippians 3.12. Well, first he said, "Now that not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So if someone like Paul, you guys know Paul is the apostle who spread Christian faith throughout the European, you know, the, the um, Middle East, all of that, the part of the world. He changed the map. He changed history by really single-handedly preaching the gospel and, and, and um, founding these early churches. Even he said in the end, not that I have obtained it. But I'm pressing on because the word says I need to continue going, going, going. And he even said in First Corinthians 9, 27, I strike a blow. I beat my body. I punch my body. That's basically saying to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What does that mean? He's not saying like, let's abuse our bodies, but we need to control our bodies because we are still in these bodies that are in contrary to the. Desires of the Spirit. So number one, because of my current location. What's the current location? The universe that will become hell. I didn't leave here yet. I'm alive. And be, the fact that I'm alive in the flesh, secondly, I'm in the flesh, I'm alive, is the problem. Because what the flesh wants to do is not what the Spirit wants to do. What the Spirit wants to do, the flesh does not want to do. You know that. Spirit wants to live for the salvation. It's salvation, but the flesh wants to eat and drink and be merry and do whatever, touch this and see this and hear this and be there and do this, all the things that the world wants to do. And then we'll go to hell for in the end, the flesh wants to do. So I need to fight. And the way I'm going to fight is beat my body, make it my slave, make it my slave, my, the spirit slave. Amen. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. So it is in the wrong to think that my salvation is done. Redemption was done by grace 2,000 years ago. Salvation is still in progress. Amen. So salvation, redemption was by grace that it was done for all mankind once for all. But the salvation of my soul will be achieved. Only achieved by faith, by Submitting my body, making it slave to the desire of the spirit before the word of God and finally leaving the burning universe. Amen. So it is done by faith. So simple equation is that I receive the gospel, which is about redemption. I need to then bring in my own faith. Jesus has done work of redemption. I need to bring my faith. So redemption plus faith equals salvation. The way we define salvation here is to leave the burning universe. Amen. Let's go to Hebrews four. Therefore, for one, therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no Value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So what does that mean? The gospel is being, the message is being heard, but you need to, it it will not have any value for your salvation unless you bring faith into the equation. Understand? So redemption is, the gospel is about the redemption of Jesus Christ, right? The redeeming love, the redeeming love and the sacrifice of Christ. And then I need to believe it. I need to accept it. I need to say amen and receive it and live according to it in order for me to arrive at salvation. What is faith then? Let's go to James two fourteen. We're gonna go back to Hebrews, but let's look at James two fourteen and see how James, uh, their uh, faith is described. What good it, is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith? Save them. The whole chapter talks about faith and deeds, but we're just going to read that part about faith with deeds. So the definition of faith is that there has to be action. Faith and action. Faith is action. Hello? Faith is? Faith is action. So faith is not words, but faith is action. So people can take this and say, oh, this is actually doing about charity because this actually talks about helping your brothers and those who are in need. Certainly those things are important and some people can take it as moral action. But... Mainly, most important thing, is that faith is by revelation. Faith is based on the word. And the word is given in the form of command. I know that the Father's word, Father's command leads to eternal life. John 12, uh, 50. So saying that the word commands, and what do I do then? I obey. Living according to the word means to obey. I know that's the bottom line every time, but I'm building my case so that it's like, okay, I accept it. Amen. That's how the Bible is. And I'm just trying to build a case and make sense for all of us to see the Bible base of this explanation, this answer. Let's go back to Hebrews three, twelve to 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the Living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So what it's saying is that as Christians now, having believed in the redemption of Christ, say amen if you have been redeemed. Now then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must grow up in salvation. Growing up in salvation means I need to work out salvation in trembling and fear, as Paul said. Even he said. So Philippians 2.12 saying, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So again, if Paul, who is so much more established and accomplished and spiritual than us, said, still work out your salvation in fear and trembling, how much more for us? It's not done deal yet. You don't just go one time sprinkling amen and then live your life and then thinking, I'm going to heaven. It's not going to work like that. For the rest of time, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to shed the sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So the, the unbelieving, sinful, unbelieving God, which is the same as being hardened by sin's deceitfulness, hardened heart, So connected with sinful. So what, it, what that means is, as you're hearing the word today, You don't go sit there going like, hmm, right, okay, same. I don't receive that. I mean, if you have that attitude, I don't know why you come. You can have your own bagel at the bagel store and enjoy it in front of TV and eat that. (laughs) Look at your phone, right? So you come here and you come for worship and you hear the word, and the word has to come to make us afraid. Revere and fear the word of God, fear the consequence of sin. Fear the life of death. What if I don't make it out of here? Then I get stuck here. That person, that, the place that I will be incinerated in the eternal spiritual fire. What if I'm left behind? Oh, MG, I need to get out of here. So I shed sinful, rebellious, disobedient, deceitful heart that says, you're yeah, right. That's not true. That is the sinful heart hardened by some sin, sins, deceitfulness that is being unmoved by the word. A step further, maybe you are moved and you shed a couple of tears and you say Yeshua, but then you walk out of here and then go back to the world. How different is that from somebody who's sitting here going like this, right? So being moved is more than shedding a couple of drops of tears and singing songs and I, I I feel good. And then what? And then what? Come Monday morning, how are you living your life? That's the question. Continue, verse 14 to 19. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with me, so we read this before, if not those who uh, disobeyed and because of their unbelief. Let's go to chapter 2 in the front there. Chapter 2, 1 to 4. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation this salvation which was first announced by the lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him god also testified to it by signs wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the holy spirit distributed according to his will so it's comparing the message that was spoken through the angels that is about the message delivered to the people of israel through moses That is the law. And under the law, if you disobey, what happened? You die. Death immediately. Still, however, there was a second chance for those people. Because the gospel had not come yet. This was pre-gospel. So they were physically paying back, retributionally. But gospel was coming. But for those of us who are born in the time of gospel, that's all of us here. Gospel has come. Yeshua already came and did the work of redemption. Done. Holy Spirit come. Church time. That's what we are. Here, if we ignore the message, how would we expect to escape the punishment? How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Why does it say that? Now the salvation is not from tribulation that's physical, social, political, but it is the salvation from hell. And after this, there's no more gospel, no new gospel coming. There's no second chance. It's already come, done. So now I must treat salvation as the most important thing and press on and not lose the focus. Keep my eyes on the prize and that is to live with the purpose of eternal life. That is the salvation of my soul. Amen. Amen. The salvation of my soul, therefore, is a result of listening to the word and obeying the word that the Holy Spirit speaks to the churches today. Amen. Amen? Amen. Not like I'm... Stop telling me. Some people say, I, I, I just can't, I don't want to be told what to do. Do you believe Jesus is your Lord? Yes. What does the Lord do? The Lord commands. And then they would go, yeah, I listen to the Lord's command, but I don't want my group leader to tell me what to do. So what is your group leader saying? Your group leader is saying what the pastor said. What does the pastor say? What the Bible says. That's why we had to stand up and read all that Bible, right? You read it. You're, the, you, you looked at it. You checked it. You checked, fact check. That's what fact check is, looking at the Bible, the sources. You hear it, you read it, and then what? What else do you, what, what can you say? Amen. What can you do but obey? Amen. Obey is when it makes sense. I get it. I agree with you. I'll do it. Submit is even stronger. Submit is even if it doesn't make quite sense for you yet. You don't quite get 100% what this is about, but because who said it, because of who he is, I do it. Amen. Amen. Who said it? Yeshua, my Lord, the living God. And you check the sources. That's what he said. That's why you're here in the church. And that's why we say, the month of January is reading the Bible. So we do it. We obey. Amen. Amen. People who say, amen, Lord, I believe, but they don't do it. What are they saying? No man. Don't tell me what to do. Month of February is month of prayer. So we are putting earnest effort into making a daily habit for all of us, yet still not doing. So what are you, why are you coming to church again? Tell me, why are you coming to church? And why COJ? At this day after day hearing all this and you still don't move, well, I, I don't understand. You need to really examine yourself and understand where we are, who he is, and what his plan is, that the... In the end, what's going to save me from this burning hell, burning universe is going to be my faith. The true faith, even if you say, well, I have faith. I told you, everyone has faith. Question is, what kind of faith do you have? Only Only the faith that saves one's soul is the true faith. The faith that the Lord said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Does that sound encouraging? Not really. Going back to statistics. How many people survived the global deluge, the flood? Noah and his family? Eight. Only eight. We don't know how many people were there. Probably millions and billions even. Eight. How many people survived the desert? Two. Out of? Two million. If God cared about number, like the likes, numbers, how many followers, he would not have have done that. He doesn't care for numbers. What does he care for? Faith. He's done the work. Now it's my time to work. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling and grow up in your salvation, it says. And that is to obey and submit to the word of God, which is spoken through the Holy Spirit in the church. So then it it is now your decision to submit and obey the word of God. And because obeying is going to be the act that I carry out. And that's the definition of faith. And it is faith, that faith, that will save my soul from the burning universe. So I want us to all examine, do I have that faith? I want my faith to grow so that in that day, my faith will save me from this burning universe. I cannot fathom being left behind. I cannot, being, I cannot fathom being abandoned by God. I do not want to be found in this unbelieving sinful heart. I want to be cut to the heart instead and be obedient and submit to whatever he commands me. Amen. That's why we need to pray. Prayer is the only way, yes you are this so. He cried out fervent cries. Who are you or who is anyone to not pray there for? Be desperate every single day. I need to get out of here. And all the souls who have been given to me to not lose even one of them. We all need to leave. So give us the faith that will save our souls in that day. Amen. Let's pray. By the grace of God. By the living blood of Christ. My soul has come to life. Now this living soul of mine must go before the living God in that day and live with him in his house where there is only life, beauty, perfection, no darkness but only light. It will be my faith by my faith alone that the soul will be saved and escape this burning universe. So I surrender to you the living God, my Savior, Yeshua. Give me the faith that will save my soul in that day. Let's lift up our hands and surrender and seek His help. I need your grace, the grace that redeemed me 2,000 years ago to continue to lead me by your grace. Give me the faith that will save my soul, Yeshua.